Hello, welcome to Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. I'm Eric Lawrenson with the Capital Times. Over the course of the coming days, we're bringing you recordings of interviews and conversations from our first ever Idea Fest at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Today, a conversation with Dan Brown, the executive manager of Ho Chunk Gaming Madison. In his talk with Cap Times news editor Jason Joyce, Brown gives an overview of what the Ho Chunk Nation is today and what the Ho Chunk are doing to preserve their heritage. All right, let's get started. I hope you enjoy the talk. We are very appreciative of the Ho-Chunk Nation's support of this inaugural Cap Times Idea Fest and are very pleased to welcome Dan Brown, the executive manager of Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison. In addition to leading the local facility since 2011, Dan has held elected office as a legislator and vice president of the Ho-Chunk Nation. He currently sits on the Madison Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors uh, among many other uh, community leadership opportunities. Please help me welcome Dan Brown. So Dan, uh, without maybe filling us in on the full bio, um, how did Dan Brown wind up in Madison managing uh, the Ho-Chunk Gaming Facility here? Well, it all started, uh, Jason, in February, a cold February day in 1964. No, I, I guess we'll go down there. Um, actually, I was, I, I've, been to, I've been in Wisconsin since, since 1993. My, my mother was a legislator, and uh, at that time in 93, uh, gaming was just sort of getting off the ground, and I had just, uh, just recently had earned my, my bachelor's degree from Ball State University, and she was just telling me that there's a real need for, you know, for leadership and for folks to come up, Ho-Chunk folks to come up and um, fill leadership positions to assist. So. Um, I started out in Wisconsin Dells. Um, I was the executive manager there for four years, and as Jason said, I was an elected official for from 2007 to 2011. And uh, since 2011, I've been managing the, the Madison facility. We um, we met about a month ago, and um, since that time, it seems like well, we talked a little bit about uh, the history of the Ho Chunk Nation in that meeting, as little as we could sort of scratch the surface of it in just our little time there. But I, I've, since that time, it seems like, um, you know, at various times and various places, um, the importance of the Ho-Chunk Nation to Madison just now is popping up everywhere on my radar screen. Um, you've explained to me that uh, the Ho-Chunk history is mostly oral, and uh, as such, there's not really like books that you can, you know, quickly sort of get up to speed on really, you know, what we're talking about, centuries of history. Is as sort of um, you know quickly as 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 you feel comfortable. Um, how far back does that Ho Chunk history go in Wisconsin and maybe even particularly Madison? Right. So one of the things I want to make clear today is that I, I'm not I'm not, be, that I'm Ho Chunk does not imbue me with all things knowing Ho Chunk. Um, <laughs> but but I have a sense of of our history um, again through through stories and. Um, what I'm told is that we've been around for 2,000 years. Um, this has been our homeland for uh, for that that amount of time, um, and we have we have endured. So our story really is is around um, perseverance and uh, maintaining our our identity through a lot of challenges, a lot of federal policy that worked uh, very strongly against us. It's very challenging to the Ho Chunk Nation. Um, there have been a lot of federal policy um, through the years 
um, aimed essentially at, at removing tribal people by, by whatever means necessary, whether it was extermination, whether it was removals. Ho-Chunk Nation suffered uh, four major removals to various reservations um, out to the west, uh, Minnesota, South Dakota, um, Iowa, and Nebraska, where half our tribe um, or another part of our tribe exists today by another name that was the Nebraska Winnebago. Um, but we kept coming back, you know, and, and that's one of the things, one of the stories, I guess, one of the takeaways today is that, you know, what you see sitting before you is, is a descendant of ancestors of mine who just refused to leave. Um, we began, the, the federal removal policies began in the 1820s, and for 40 years, we were removed a total of four times, or four times major removals, but a total of 11 times the Ho-Chunk were removed. But we kept coming back. You know, my grandparents, grandparents kept coming back. And in 1862, the Homestead Act was enacted by Congress, and what that did is provide for 40 to 80, 40 to 80 acre plots of land for our, for our people to start farming and, uh, and, and to return and to stay. So for 20 years, a lot of our people lived as refugees in our homeland. Um, through it all, uh, the, ne the next federal policy was the uh, assimilation, and that was in 1862 where there was a real push to, to basically take the Indian out of the man. And uh, my mother, as an example, was, was somebody who was subjected to corporal punishment for speaking her own language. Um, that, and you know, the whole idea was to, to deculturalize our people. Um, but through all of those initiatives and through all that federal policy, what I'm really proud of, and I think that Wisconsinites and Madisonians, Dan County residents, really anybody should be wary of, I guess, is the fact that we've persevered, we've maintained our language, um, we've maintained our, our culture. Um, through all of those challenges, we refuse, to, we refuse to let that go, and we maintain our identity to this day. We, um, you've talked about how uh, Madison really served as sort of a business center uh, for the Ho-Chunk Nation. Um, I've read a little bit about the founding. Well, the again, when you read, after you talk to Dan for a second, and then you start reading about Madison history and you see words like founded. <laughs> Not exactly founded when they showed up and people were already here, you know. Um, but when they talk about, I guess, the establishment of the city of Madison, um, they said that there, there were Ho-Chunk villages around, but that they they weren't really in the center of the city, but I, I'm not sure that's true. Um, we know that there are burial mounds around the city. What, what was the activity of the Ho-Chunk like in the city of Madison? So really what it was is that the Ho-Chunk nations, are, our story of origin begins in Red Banks, which is up in Green Bay. And that we controlled approximately 10 million acres stretching down to La Crosse all the way down to uh, Northern Illinois. Um, and with that, there was no ownership. There wasn't an ownership concept, you know, with natives. Uh, it was it was a control. Uh, we allowed people through our, you know, to pass through. Um, and many times, I'm told that we we charged charged folks to go, you know, to go through our territory. Um, and we were we were those that essentially controlled the trade in the Madison area. So a lot of tribes. This is pre-European um, uh, arrival. And a lot of tribes would come in and trade with the Ho-Chunk, whether it was, it was the goods that they had, natural resources from their, their areas, you know, from, from which they came. Um, and there's some stories, very interesting stories, that the Ho-Chunk actually were, were, uh, they were, they were travelers across the ocean, that they would build these massive dugout canoes, and that in the Middle East there's some evidence of, of some Ho-Chunk existence there, some artifacts. 
And in fact, in some of our uh, burial mounds that have been dug up, there's also some artifacts there that would indicate that we had trade with those, not just you know, within the continental US, but across the ocean. Uh, that, um, I think we've, uh, you know, in several neighborhoods around Madison, um, there are still, there's still evidence of the burial mounds. Do you know what, to what extent that, that, uh, that particular tradition extends throughout the, the Madison area? Is that something that happens around the state or, or were people buried in specific areas? Yeah, and, and mounds are, are not necessarily burial mounds. The mounds were for, uh, you know, were built for a variety of reasons, um, some of which that we don't understand. Um, some of those stories weren't passed down or they were diluted through the years, but they weren't necessarily all burial mounds. Um, but, but again, Madison, I feel like this, this sense of, you know, a, a better Wisconsin, Madison should be, and I hope, hope that we are very proud of the fact that this is the largest concentration of, of mounds, effigy mounds in the entire world. And it's tragic that over 80% of them have been destroyed through, um, through development. But you know, the, the really encouraging piece today is that there's a, an active effort in preservation. Um, I manage a casino. I, I'm, not a, I'm not the uh, heritage preservation guy, but on a very consistent basis, I'll get phone calls um, letters um, from from concerned citizens in this community in Dane County who, hey, I have a mound in my backyard. You know, is there something we can do to work with the Ho Chunk Nation to assist in preserving the mounds because they are of such you know significant uh, significance um, to this area. Um, in fact, you know, one of the things and I might be getting a little ahead of myself here, but we're talking about building a, a heritage center out there by our casino, and we want to celebrate those. You know, we want to celebrate and tell our own story in our own voice in our Heritage Center, and as a part of that experience, we'd like to be able to provide for cultural and ecotourism to go out and, and observe these, these magnificent 2,000-year-old uh, you know, sites. We were just chatting out here. Um, there, uh, it's the General Assembly that's taking place this weekend. In General Council. General Council, excuse yeah. me, taking place at the uh, at the Alliance Center this weekend. Can you give us a, just a little bit of an overview as to how sort of the Ho Chunk Sovereign Nation operates today? Sort of how how it looks and, and maybe even what what's going on at the General Council this weekend. Right. So uh, there was in 1934 there was the Indian Re Reorganization Act. And we, we weren't a part of that per se because we had not established ourselves as a tribe at, at that point. So in 1963, the Ho-Chunk Nation established itself officially to be officially recognized by the federal government as a tribe. Um, and we developed what was it then called a Wisconsin-Winnebago Business Committee. Um, in 1994, we changed our government. One of the things that we did with that is to rename ourselves who we are. We were called the Wisconsin Winnebago. We were called Winnebago for a long time. Some of the you know the older folks here will remember the Winnebago. Um, that was a name that was that was that wasn't given to us. And so in 1994, when we uh, when we adopted our, our new constitution, we renamed ourselves who we are, Ho Chunk, people of the sacred voice. And the way we set up our government really is very similar to the U.S. government. We have a judiciary, we have a legislative, we have an executive, we have a fourth. And that's you know, speaking to our general council meeting today. Our fourth branch of government is an assembly, an annual assembly of at least 20% of our eligible voters to get together. It's essentially a family reunion, but it's also an opportunity to, to adopt policy that's, uh, that, that directly has impact on, on the nation's government and its people. Um, so it's a, it's a government that's still evolving. 
when it was the Wisconsin Winnebago Business Committee, the, the tribal leaders at that time were, essentially they had all authority across the entire, entire nation, whether it was uh, adopting law, um, running the businesses, um, it just they, they covered the gamut. And so this has broken things down to where it's, it's we're still trying to adjust to, to, to this new form of government. Again, 1994 is, is pretty recent. Um, there's a chief, and we were talking about the relationship between the chief and the legislature. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? So when it, we, still recognize, we still recognize our chief, and our chief comes from our Sky Clan. We, we have 12 clans. Um, some of the clans are, no longer exist. For, for a variety of reasons, um, one of which you know, we make a tribute to the removals, where some of our tribe still is, remains in uh, Nebraska. So some of our, our, um, our clans are, are out there, but our, our Sky clans are our chief. And so our, our, uh, we recognize that, and through, through the years in order to survive, the clans each maintain basically what was a, a division of labor. They had responsibilities, um, and so the chief clan, was, the Sky clan was a chief. Um, and he's recognized today as such, but he doesn't really have, he doesn't have authority per se when it comes to governing, but when it comes to issues of tradition um, and someone with whom that the, the tribal membership can, can go to for, for advice, we have, he also um, assists with uh, our, our traditional court, and that's comprised of, of elders, elder men um, from the different clans. So the chief is still recognized as our chief and, and respected as such, but he doesn't have the authority. It's, I think what you might want to sort of parallel to is uh, parliament in, in Great Britain and, and the, the royalty there. Um, and, and elders, the concept of elders, which even just came up this morning when we were just a few minutes ago when we were chatting, um, can you explain the, the, that tradition and, and sort of the importance and the, the impact of elders speaking to you, speaking to others within the, within the nation. Right, we still, you know, they're, aside from our veterans who are, are the most you know, highly uh, respected and revered uh, members of our tribe, our elders are, are very highly respected and, and highly revered. Um, they, they, they're the ones that assist us in, in sharing the stories. Um, again, being that we're oral history, that's, that's the place that we get, you know, get to know who we are. Um, and they're the ones with the, with the wisdom. There, there's a little debate within the tribe in that um, elder for, for uh, um, benefits. We, we've sort of perversed it just a little bit in that you're an elder at 55. So unfortunately, in two years, I, I will be an elder. <laughs> <laughs> but the traditional people recognize the elders for what the elders are, and those are, those are the folks that have earned that respect um, through good deeds, through you know, showing the compassion and love and direction of their people. Um, unlike many other uh, Native people, um, the, the Ho-Chunk doesn't, um, especially in Wisconsin, doesn't sort of coalesce around a reservation. Um, and uh, we, we discussed that for, for really for better or worse. Um, can you tell us how that has affected unity um, and maybe um, identification of members um, as Ho-Chunk? Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's, had a major impact on, on our nation. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we, we endured a lot of removals from, from our homeland. And um, again, in, in 1862, the uh, Homestead Act was, was adopted by Congress. 
And those homesteads today, that what the government did is place these, these 40 and 80 acre parcels into trust, sort of a quasi reservation, if you will. Um, so that really, and that is where our casinos are built. So on one hand, we, we, do, we lack that sort of unity and that other tribes enjoy, while the rest of the tribes in the state enjoy having a reservation, have a central location. Um, we're spread out all over. They call us a checkerboard tribe. <clears throat> and it's had an impact. From business standpoint, that we're located, our casinos are located along a major corridor in the state. Yay, that's great. And from a financial standpoint, um, to assist in, in funding all of our, our programs that assist our tribe, it's fantastic. But when it comes to unity, when it comes to being together um, all of the time to help in one another, it's a challenge. And, and from, a, you know, from a family perspective, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for particularly our elders. I think it was more difficult um, before the internet and Facebook and all this other fun stuff that we can keep track of one another. But you know, in the old days, our, our elders had to travel a great distance um, just to see one another. Um, and so powwows were, were a really big deal. Um, meetings, prayer meetings, and things where we could we could get together, but it just wasn't as convenient as it probably would have been with a with a reservation. Today, um, there are, like you said, there uh, it's considered the checkerboard tribe. How how broad is that geographic distribution? Where are the sort of the farthest flung big pockets of Ho Chunk people today? So, uh, Wittenberg, from Wittenberg to Black River Falls to Nakusa Rapids. Uh, we have uh, uh, pockets of, of tribal members in Milwaukee and Madison. We have a more substantial uh, population in uh, Nakusa and Black River Falls, or I beg your pardon, Wisconsin Dells and Black River Falls. Those are our two, two primary um, population bases. Um, so we're, we're, we're spread out pretty, pretty well. But even nationally at this point, you have, do, do you count, do you have members who live as far away as Nebraska, et cetera, still? Yeah, okay. yeah we, we do. We have them worldwide. Actually, well, the state of Wisconsin, for, for the Ho-Chunk Nation, we've divided in, in, in quadrants. Um, so we have four areas in, the, in, in Wisconsin, and then the rest, of the, the, the rest of the world we recognize as at-large. There's about seven, 800 of us, um, a little over half of whom live in Wisconsin. So this... Um the, the facility here in Madison, one of the big projects that you're working on right now, is expansion of that facility. And um, would you just like to talk about that? What's the what, what's sort of the um, the the planning behind it, the reasoning behind it, and, and what are you hoping to do? Sure. So, you know, when one of the things that I'd like to convey whenever I get an opportunity like this, which, by the way, I really appreciate everybody being here today. Thank you very much. Um, Is the opportunity to dispel myths about about the nation, about Ho Chunk people, you know, uh, and and other natives as well. This this whole this gaming piece that's been introduced and and prevails, you know, in our in our communities. Um, there's there's a lot of, of of myths out there that we're this rich tribe, and and you know, does does gaming generate you know its fair share of, of revenue? Sure, it does. But having served in the office. Um, as the vice president of the Ho-Chunk Nation, having previously been the executive manager at Ho-Chunk Gaming Wisconsin Dells, I was shocked to learn that you know, the needs of the people just continue to outpace what we're able to deliver. And so it's been, you know, it's been my mission to do, to do whatever I can to maximize revenues so that we can provide for our people, because our people are still, you, know, you suffer a lot through federal policy, is what, you know, what they call cultural uh, trauma. And we suffer it today if we have a situation like, like my mother, for instance, 
and that generation who were forced into mission schools and boarding schools and forced to basically surrender their or try to get them to surrender their culture, that will the the, the that will resonate, you know, later on in life. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with the removal of 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 you know being removed from from your homeland. And a lot of the, those issues, those social issues, you know, they, they bubble up today and they manifest themselves in just a lot of ways. Um, and that requires services. It requires attention to, to heal that wound, those wounds. And so recognizing all of that, it, we're looking to expand. We're looking to expand our facility out at, um, here in Madison. And we want to make it something that's you know, more of a destination. The idea was to, to get with the city, the city of Madison. It was important to me that we developed a, a, a solid relationship with, with the city. I don't know, there was, previously there had been some challenges um, between the Ho-Chunk Nation and, and the city of Madison. Um, most of you probably well know that in 2003 we had a referendum that would have placed, uh, we were seeking to, to make Madison our fourth site, and that uh, there was a countywide referendum that Governor Walker sought and got, and we were resoundingly defeated in that. So the, the residents of Dane County didn't want a, a class three casino in their midst. Um, and that's, you know, and, and so some, some of that I think was based on ignorance on both sides and the inability or the unwillingness or having never reached out and gotten to know one another. And so what's been so important since I've been in this capacity is a lot of outreach. I have with me today Missy Tracy. There's a position I developed called the Municipal Relations Coordinator, and that position was designed specifically to get out, create relationships, and, and maintain those relationships. Missy's standing right over here. Just give us a wave, will you? <clears throat> so the relation building was a, you know, the basis for this, um, this expansion project. Um, the idea was, what could we do, what could the Ho-Chunk Nation do alongside the city that would benefit both governments, that benefit the entire community? What was that? I didn't have a plan when I got to this, this casino, to this facility, but I knew that we had a lot of land. We had 40 plus acres to develop, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew we needed to do something, and I wanted to do it with the city. And the, the sports complex concept is, is still being worked on right now. Uh, we think it's something that could be very viable. In the interim, we're also talking about, as, as I mentioned previously, we, we talked about the Heritage Center. I think that's gonna be a really, really important part um, for the community. Um, I see this as a marvelous opportunity to tell our story, to talk openly about what's happened to the Ho-Chunk, you know, to, you know to, to celebrate it and not, yeah, you celebrate, but to, to commemorate and really discuss it. Um, I, I'm fascinated by what happened in World War II with the, uh, with the Holocaust. And I'm, I'm, I'm even more fascinated with the healing that Germany is, tr is undergoing or trying to undergo with Berlin having their, uh, they actually have, uh, as you probably well know, um, monuments um, that, that, that talk about this. They're not ignoring that ugly past. And I think we need to take a page out of that with what's happened here in, in this country. You know, six million people died in, from 1941 to 1945, I have read. Um, when Americans, or, or I beg your pardon, when, when Europeans made contact here in this, in this part of the world, South America, Central America, North America is estimated had 100 million people, 100 million natives. And by 1900, that number was 300,000. And so we need to talk about some of these things. We need to, it doesn't, it's not meant to make anybody feel badly about themselves or about the past, but it's something we need to talk about. 
because as we move forward, I, I believe that's the only way for us to, to progress and to, to move forward is to, and to recognize that. Perhaps, you know, perhaps have it in our, our curriculum. Don't ignore it. You know, let's talk about let's talk about what's happened to, to these native people to, to you know across this country, but specifically in this area. And so we want to be able to tell that story. So the Heritage Center becomes a real focal point for us. And we want Madison, we want Dane County, we want Wisconsin to be proud of it. You know, not proud of what you know the the, the not the not so pleasant past, but to recognize that not so pleasant past and move forward and take a look at you know what you have in your midst in these mounds and, and, and just that we, we exist today and that we're, we thrive and that we've survived. That's a, that's a really you know, powerful story to tell and I think that you know, folks here and, and in the community should be very proud of the fact that we're here. Um, we, we're getting over resent. Um, the generation before me I think was probably, um, probably a reason why that generation of city officials and, and the generation ahead of me didn't get along well because those wounds were so, so still open and it happened, some really bad things happened to their parents and their grandparents and the, and the grandparents' grandparents. And so those kind of things are, are, are difficult. You know, they're really difficult to, to sort of maneuver and, and negotiate. Um, but we need to talk about that. And my generation, I think, and, and the one following me is, is, is a bit more progressive, forgiving, um, and, and wanting to work, you know, work together. Um, you made the point that um, a Heritage Center is not a museum. What would be the diff What's the difference? What's what does a heritage center, in your mind, um, hope to accomplish that a museum might not be able to? We want to make it really interactive. We're, we're we're you know starting to learn that you know the I think people that are attending these these sorts of things are, are not necessarily looking to a, a static exhibit, but something more interactive, something utilizing technology. Um, you know, we can envision all sorts of of ways to tell our story utilizing technology. Um, uh, we, we films, you know, things you can pick up and touch and feel. Um, we just have a, such a great opportunity to to tell a story, and what's important about this story is to tell it in our own voice. We can intermix a lot of the, the facts and figures that that are well well known, but to also incorporate stories from different clans. Each clan has its own stories. Some of those are kind of secretive, you know. Some of those aren't for public consumption, but some are. And we, sh you know, I'd like for us to I'd like to see us share those. One of the points I, I wanted to bring about too is, is because of the removals, because of so much pain that's transpired over the years with, you know, with our elders, the whole idea of sharing, sharing ourselves with, with, the, you know, with mainstream society has been very strained because it's very scary. Um, the assimilation, uh, that whole process was something that had to have been horrifying. I don't speak today, I don't speak Ho-Chunk today because my mother suffered and so what I'm learning now is, that particularly through our president, the president of the Ho-Chunk Nation, his name is Wilfred Cleveland. I had a meeting with him one time with, with the Heritage and Preservation Department, and we were talking about, we need, to, we need to get this out there, we need to talk about it. And he was very circumspect, and he said, you know, you guys aren't doing this. You know, this is something that's happening because it's supposed to happen. He says, you know, we've been guarding ourselves so long, and, and we've been protecting ourselves and protecting our language and, and, and assuring that, you know, that mainstream doesn't come in to try to eradicate it and he says now we're starting to relax and all you are is just you know you're just vehicles to to get this done you know because it's a higher power that's that's decided this is the time and so i think that's an important part of you know the messaging here too is that i think it is time i think it's time for us to to start reaching out and getting people to understand again your your presence today is is just so encouraging to me that there's a level of interest in in the ho-chunk 
Um, we've got some questions here. Um, they're really good. We're going to start going through some of them. Let's do it. Dan, are there people who speak the Ho-Chunk language? Is it taught to children today? Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, that was really getting scary for a while um, because our elders, each time an elder dies, it's not just the language, but it's so many stories because it is oral. And if they haven't been shared or not been preserved, then that gets to be a really, really uh, scary situation. You know, the, the, really the death of a tribe. The language is what you know, makes us who we are. Um, so yes, the, the short answer is we have uh, a very small number of, of fluent speakers, but we are making a great effort, great strides towards getting our children. Uh, we have immersion programs where our children can speak fluently. Um, so when they talk to me, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, another question here. Uh, you serve on the Madison Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. You're actively involved in other community organizations. Can you share some examples of how Ho-Chunk is getting even more involved in the local community? Are there other initiatives that you're taking part in right now? Wow. Yeah. I, I, offhand, that's, that's a great question. We, we do. I, um, the, the Convention Visitors Bureau, you know, become very good friends with, with, with them and, and involved there, the Clean Lakes Alliance. Um, uh, the fact that, that I was asked to be on the, uh, the board of directors for the, uh, um, for the chamber was, you know, to me just so flattering and humbling. Um, Mad Rep, um, that's another one. I'm a board member there. And I'm just very pleased and, and proud that, you know, the, the reciprocity that's been exhibited in the community because, you know, we, we started out cold um, just reaching out and talking to, to Alders. Um, Hi. I'm Daniel Brown, you know, Ho-Chunk Nation. I'd like to get to know you, um, you know, and, and what do you do? And, and so it's been just really, really encouraging. Um, the climate in this, in this uh, community today, um, the discussions that are ongoing about, uh, about equity, um, inclusion, and those sorts of things, you know, we just committed ourselves to, the, to being included in those conversations and not being ignored. Yeah, we were, I was going to get to equity. Um, we had a panel discussion, talk a little bit about equity before this, and I know that you have been involved in equity discussions at uh, Equity Summit by the, presented by the YWCA. I've seen you speak there. Um, are, are, there are there parts of that equity discussion that you feel left out of still? What, in what way are you, I mean, sort of saying, hey, us too? Is that, is that a part of what you're up to? Yeah, you know, it's, it comes down to numbers. Um, when, when you're talking 7,800 people, half, little over half of whom live in this state, um, and then around 300 that live in this community of, you know, a quarter of a million people, um, it's understandable. It's not acceptable, but it's understandable that we haven't been a part of the, the conversation, and so we're, we're, you know, making ourselves a part of the conversation. We want to be, we want to be included because we're impacted as well. Whether it's here, whether it's Sauk County, whether it's Jackson County. Um, we have challenges, incarceration issues. We have issues of, of being profiled. Um, we have issues uh, just that, that run the gamut. And we need to be a part of that conversation because we have a lot to share. We have a history that's, you know, that, that is challenging. And the people of color in this community, we share, we sit down, we talk about you know, our respective challenges. And um, you know, the whole intent for us is to, is to join together. But with the with the mainstream you know community as well, that's so important that there is that amount of of not just interest but passion about assuring that you know we're all working together towards you know inclusion. Um, 
someone is interested, it, you, the the uh, the information you gave about the naming uh, of Winnebago or the renaming of the of the tribe from Winnebago is fascinating. We see Winnebago everywhere. It's uh, it's uh, I live right by Winnebago Avenue in town here. Um, uh, do you know the names the Ho Chunk people gave to the lakes in this area? Are there other sort of native names that that uh, maybe should be renamed? Or I don't want I don't think you're going to go that far, but you know what I'm <laughs> saying. Actually, that uh, Mendota, Monona, uh, Wabisa, and Kaganza are not Ho Chunk names. Lake Wingra is is a is a loose interpretation of, of or, or loose way of I guess uh, translating. It was Duck Lake, Wang Wang okay. Lake, and so Wingra is the only lake that has a as a Ho Chunk name. Interesting. All right. Um, we talked a little bit about the generational dynamics at, at play um, in the in the Ho Chunk Nation. What kinds of ways do you think many in the Ho Chunk Nation would welcome partnerships or collaborations from local non-natives? Is that a is there a point of contention there, even among uh, the, the Ho Chunk people, on, on these kinds of collaborations? I, I don't think there's any question. You know, it's been a really interesting time for me to talk to the uh, you know the communities of color, and that exists in every community. Um, you're, you're, it's not you know to sit up here and and try to tell you that you know we're all this big happy family that has this central vision and focus, and we're moving in that direction would be absurd. Um, People, there are some people who still harbor resent and really probably have no interest in what we're trying to do. But I think what I'm seeing though is, is I think through gaming dollars, we've seen opportunities, success stories, um, educational opportunities, in which every tribal member that goes to school and they're enlightened and they're, you know, they're, they're being exposed to, to other things you know, socially. Um, I'm seeing a progression, I'm seeing a sort of evolution of our, of our people. And I think that with that, there, there's a recognition that the Ho-Chunk Nation cannot operate and exist in a vacuum. That's just not realistic. As much as we'd like to, we, we need to maintain our identity, we still have to reach out, we still have to work together. So I think on the whole, I think that's the way things are evolving. I, I believe um, with this younger generation, I have a lot of hope for them. Our legislature right now is comprised of some fairly young people, um, 40s, it's young. Um, but but I'm, seeing some, I'm seeing some real progress there. Um, I have a question here about wild rice. Is, is wild rice a, um, an important uh, traditional um, symbol in, in the Ho-Chunk Nation? You know, there's, I, I don't think that wild rice, you know, and, and again, I'm not all-knowing Ho-Chunk here, but it's my, I've been told that um, that's more of a northern tribal, you know, some of the Ojibwe, you know, they're, they're renowned for their wild rice and their um, uh, maple and some of the, you know, those types of things. You know, we farmed when we did farm were um, corn, squash, beans. Um, and it's interesting, you should bring that up. I just wanna bring up that, you know, a lot of people sort of associate fry bread with, with natives. And that's a, a native food. Sometimes, you know, fail to understand is that that was just because we were given these provisions and had to make do with whatever we had. And that wound up just being something that we, we had to because we had nothing else or very little else. Is, is there a, uh, a movement or an effort or even a desire um, on the part of Ho-Chunk people to um, get back into agriculture in a significant way, develop that uh, aspect of sort of the traditional resources? Very much so, okay. very much so, Jason. In fact, um, we have programs that, that provide for organic farming. Um, we're, we're between our health departments and our, our social departments, it's, it's real important that we're getting our people to eat properly, um, there's a food food sovereignty movement 
so that we are eating well. Uh, we have a, a, a really bad problem, as, as a lot of communities of color do, with diabetes. And diabetes, of course, is directly linked to um, uh, socioeconomics. If you're eating badly, you're, you're more apt and subject to, to that sort of thing. And so we're working very, very hard. Uh, the nation's working very hard at, at, at developing nutritional programs so that people are eating better um, and, and you know, cutting back on fry bread. <laughs> um, here's a question about uh, about the operation here in Madison. Um, please share your thinking on voluntarily declaring your Madison casino to be no smoking. Um, how has this been accepted by your guests, by members of the tribe? That was born out of um, really just popular demand. I read my comment cards every day or every week and kept on getting these comments about how great it is. You know, we love playing here, hate the smoke. And so the decision was made, let's, let's just have ourselves a, uh, let, let's, let's conduct a survey. We have a database of our players and let's just find out from them, you know, do, do, would you prefer not to have smoking? When I worked in Wisconsin Dells, the con conventional wisdom was that if you were a player, that 75% of you smoked. And that was always just, just the conventional wisdom and you just didn't go away from that. Uh, and it may hold true today in most facilities, I don't know, but our survey results indicated the exact opposite. That 30% said they would prefer or demand smoking, 70% said they prefer to not have it. And so it was a pretty, it was a, it was a huge decision. I think we're one of four, four native casinos in the entire country who has, who has done so of our own volition. Um, and we took a little hit in the beginning, but there were some other um, variables that were playing at the exact same time, and we've recovered fully. And so we, we get so many comments to this day of how much they love the fact that you can come into our place, relax, and enjoy yourselves in a smoke-free environment. Um, another question here, uh, do you have a date in mind for the opening of the uh, Heritage Center for when you'd like these expansions to be? One of the challenges that we have with, with this, what we're going to have, is the fact that the Ho-Chunk Nation has endeavored to renovate three other gaming facilities, uh, Black River Falls, um, uh, the Wisconsin Dells facility, and Wittenberg. Wittenberg, I beg your pardon, sorry. Uh, Wittenberg is building a, a hotel, and there's other expansions and renovations going on in the other facilities, and so um, the Ho-Chunk Nation uh, recognizes more so than ever that this this, this is the place that we really need to focus our attention on um, if we seek to you know, provide the funding for our programs like, like I hope we all do. Um, as such, um, we, we have committed a substantial sum to, to those, those expansions, those projects, but um, there is an ongoing effort now to assure that we have the funding. Once we're done with our planning process, um, we're hopeful that we can move, move forward quickly to obtain funding so we can break ground and get moving. Great, you've uh, had discussions with the local um, community leaders and, and officials and the feedback has been? It's been it's been excellent, you know, we're so pleased. I think it's, you know, not to pat myself or, or my team on the back too hard. Um, the relation building piece has just been so important and it's been, you know, what's been so important is just creating an understanding of what we do, what we're trying to do. You know, I look back on that, res that um, referendum, and I wonder if we had had this kind of environment um, then that we do now, would we have a class three facility in Madison today? And it's water under the bridge and it's not relevant anymore, but um, it's been the reciprocity too that's been so very important, that's been so impactful.
that we reach out is one thing, but that Madison reaches back out to us, the, the business community, the you know the city alders, the the county. Joe Parisi has been fantastic with us. Um, there's a tremendous amount of uh, of interest in in sites, um, archaeological sites, and, and other historical sites in in the in the community and. Just the relation building that we've done, I, I just feel like we're, we're positioned really well. Um, I think there's an acceptance. I think time sort of like uh, has evolved to a point where gaming isn't looked upon quite so uh, negatively. Uh, I think there's a more of an acceptance. Um, whether or not you actually play, that you have a casino in your midst, is I don't think is quite the issue that might have been um, 10 years ago. Uh, what's the current population of the Ho-Chunk Nation? We're about 7,800 people. 7,800. Mm -hmm. And um, is that, does that membership continue to grow? Do you, are you in sort of recruitment mode still or? Funny. Ah, <laughs> recruitment. Uh, it, so in the, in the mid-90s, we started net profit distribution. And um, our, our tribe just grew. Poof. It just, what happened was actually. Um, so we had tribal members who are members of other nations. And so they began to defect from the other nations and, and, and get on the Ho-Chunk Nation's roles. Um, so now what's happened is the tipping point is predicted to be somewhere in around 2020, 2025, because the blood is going to dilute, start to dilute a little bit here. And so our, our population will naturally start to decline a little at that time, probably. The, um, uh, the requirements of, of joining the nation are... Yeah, you have to be a quarter blood. Quarter, yeah. okay, quarter. Um, and then uh, as a member, um, are, there, uh, are there certain obligations? Uh, what do you sort of ask of, of your membership during the course of a year? There's really not any official obligation. Um, a lot of us who work in, in the tribe and, and have committed ourselves and have dedicated ourselves to our nation um, would hope that you know, our people would participate um, and assist. There are a lot of opportunity for our people um, to, to go to school, to come back and, and provide assistance, you know, whatever expertise they can to, to help, but there are no real obligations being a tribal member. Um, in our traditional side, there are obligations there. Um, to be clear, our, our tribes, you know, sort of, I guess, major uh, religions, if you will, is that there's a traditional uh, group there's a Native American church group. Um, Native American church is, is, the, is the religion um, that incorporates peyote and, and Christianity. Um, the traditional uh, do not observe any of that. And of course, we also have Christians um, in, our, you know, in, our, uh, in our tribe. Um, so here's a question, um, and it's big, but I think, I think there's a good way to get at this. Um, what hopes and dreams does the Ho-Chunk Nation have for future generations and, and the future of the area? I mean, so there are kids now, um, you know, young, young kids who are going to grow up as Ho-Chunk much differently than the way you grew up as Ho-Chunk. And right. so what are your hopes for, for them as they become your age? I think the, the, the biggest push right now is, is the preservation of the language. That is, that is the, the single most important thing. You know, those of us who, excuse me, who dedicate ourselves to generating the revenues so that we can, so they can fund these programs, you know, we sort of sacrifice. You know, we did money, Ho-Chunk money is, is called Judah. And so we call ourselves a lot of times, not officially, but just behind closed doors, we call ourselves Judah Ho-Chunk. Because we just figure, you know, we're just going to sacrifice, you know, and, and do the best we can so that we can move our tribe forward in the way that we can best utilize our skills 
but I think the whole idea is is to preserve the language, have our have our kids be able to speak the language, learn our culture, participate in events and doings and and uh, you know ceremonies and, and things of that nature. Just to really truly be Ho Chunk, just not a, a group of brown people, um, but to be Ho Chunk. We were talking about um, some of the necessity of even embracing people from outside the nation and helping you um, preserve that language. You told me a little story about Volkswagen. Yeah. You want to share that with uh, the crowd? Yeah, here? and I, 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 again, I wasn't there, but the, the word was, and what I had heard is that uh, um, there was a grant from, from Volkswagen and, and some folks came in from Germany to, to assist with, uh, with preserving the language. Um, but rewind real quick, uh, because we're an oral, because we're an oral uh, a tribe, it was very difficult, even though the, the, the language started to sort of slip away, to preserve it in recording. A lot of the elders were just like, you don't do that. That's not something you do. And, and so it was very difficult to, to save the language. Um, but some elders started to talk about that, and it, it got to the point where they were asking each other, well, do you drive? Do you use a phone? Do you, you, do you utilize technology? We need to think about this. And so I think reluctantly some of the older elders decided, you know, fine, we'll do that. So when Volkswagen came in to assist with, with, uh, with the language preservation, they learned. They learned language. And so in Germany, there are pockets of, of, of Germany that speak our language. And I'm told that uh, one of my, my first cousins told me that he said, yeah, you know, they're, they're over there having powwows. You know, they so embrace the, you know, not just Ho-Chunk, you know, other natives as well, the native nations as well, but they just so, um, are so interested in that they have their own, their own powwows over in, in Europe. It's kind of interesting. Um, is someone asks, is there anything deep being done to put Ho-Chunk history in, into books, into, into written form, or is that a, a really sticky issue? I, you know, I don't, I don't think it is. I think what it is, it comes down to just a real active effort. I think that's what it is. I think it's just a matter of, you know, we have our Heritage Preservation Department um, and we're doing our best to archive, you know, information. But as far as coming in and actually doing a, you know, a, a book, um, I guess I'll have to start tapping something out here soon for contemporary history, not ancient history. Right, right. Um, we're, we're just at about the end of our session here. Um, have we not covered something? Is there something that you wanted to make sure that we talked about here before we finished up? I think one of the main messages, you know, to in, in a situation like this is um, to humanize what's, what's happened. And for folks, if you walk away from this today, I think one of the most important things is to humanize. We can talk about, we can talk about, uh, you know, uh, removals during which time, you know, at least one removal, we lost a full one-third of our tribe. Um, when you say that, it's, it's, it seems like, yeah, yeah, that was a really long time ago. Or when you talk about assimilating and having young Ho-Chunk children that were, you know, that were beaten for speaking their language, ah, that was a long time ago. And it wasn't. We can reach out and, and touch our mom who, who, who suffered that. Um, anybody who's, who's suffered loss, so who's suffered uh, losing someone. Um, if you lose a quarter of your tribe, it's that pain times that many people that are gone. And so I think when, when, when I'm looking back on some of these historical facts and, and you know, some of the things that have transpired, I try to put it, you know, the human part of it. How did that, how did that feel? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it happened, and, and we can talk about it, it ha happened. 
but how did that feel? You know, how did those, you know, how did that impact the people that that suffered through that, that that endured, that lived through that? And I think that's something that I really want to see us do in the Heritage Center is to put that feel and put that feeling and that soul into that story, that it's not just facts and figures and those sorts of things, but that there was a real, a real human human element to all that's transpired through these years. Thank you very much for sitting down with us today. Um, we could not have put together the fest uh, as we have without the support of the Ho-Chunk Nation. And, and you know, maybe some of the best uh, uh, things to come out of that partnership is the fact that uh, the CapTime staff has gotten to know you. And uh, Thank you, James. hopefully now we have each other's phone number and, and we can collaborate on many things in the future. So thank you very much. Thank Please you. Join me and thank you. Thank you.